1: I'm Keegan and I'm Madigan and you're listening to your Your angry Angry neighborhood Neighborhood feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hello, Miss Keegan.
2: Hello. Hello. How are you doing today, Madigan?
1: Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm on the I'm on the tail end of my period. I guess kind of a follow up from last week's episode. (laughs) Oh, good. So you're on the upswing at this point. Yeah, it's getting there. I think I'm on I can't remember if I'm on day five or six, which makes things really complicated, because those two days for me are very, very different. Um, but I ran out of panty liners and I didn't want to wear... The only tampons I had were supers. So I rolled up... like We have the really good Charmin toilet paper right now. Mm-hmm. So I like rolled it up and then I taped the seam shut with medical tape. And then I did a roll of tape with the medical tape, stuck it to the side with the seam of the toilet paper, stuck it to my underwear... I made myself a goddamn pad. I'm very proud of this. It's genius. Wow. <laughs> it's I mean, a lot. I mean, usually,
2: I'm just lazy. If I'm in that situation, I just roll it up and shove it in there and uh-huh. hope it works okay. But you it know?
1: always shifts and moves. Like, I hate when it slides up your butt. Oh, or yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And, like, if mm-hmm. I'm going to be sitting on a hard wooden chair and recording for an hour with you, I don't want to feel like I have toilet paper making its way... Into my booty, you know what I mean? Sure, not yeah. not today, not Reasonable. today. Yeah, exactly. But at least I don't feel as much of like a crazy person anymore. Um, so yeah, that's great. We're gonna talk about some crazy stuff today. Some crazy yes. making so stuff.
2: A couple of things before we record. First of all, I was or record. We are recording, but yes. before <laughs> we begin, um, first of all, I was just telling you. I woke up with a migraine this morning. I Mm -hmm. haven't had a migraine in a long time. Uh, So if I seem a little out of it, that is why. (laughs) Because it's kind of hard to focus. We're going to take good care of Keegan today. And we're just going (laughs) to let her do her thing, you know? And then secondly, I will say that I entered into this episode somewhat begrudgingly. I know you did. <laughs> because you texted and you were like, let's do an episode on a teacher. And I was like, I don't know if I want to watch that show. I And I have, said that was fine. I have, which I did, I did watch it. I watched I the whole I know you thing. did. Um, I have some issues with, outside of just the subject matter, I was uh-huh. very concerned about how they were going to handle this subject matter. And I will say that they exceeded my expectations in some respects right. in the way that they handled it. Um, but beyond just th- it being a teacher-student dynamic, which always makes me uncomfortable, of course, um, as, as I get older, I find that like... Really sexualized plots with uh-huh. teenagers or people who are supposed to be portraying teenagers, yeah. makes me somewhat uncomfortable. Um, like it's why yeah. I don't, I, I haven't watched Euphoria either, even though I'm sure that that show is good.
1: Yeah, I think that's the point though, is like the fact that these are it's supposed to make you uncomfortable, and I actually found it interesting um, that they chose the casting that they did because Nick Robinson, who plays. Uh, the high school boy, he he's playing like 17, 18 years old. He is 24 in real life. And he is a very, very young looking man, you know. But to me, he's still he doesn't really have that 17 year old. Yeah, he, they did a look. good job stylizing him to look younger. Um, but
2: his face face itself looks like he's 25 you know yeah yeah
1: like his facial structure everything like you can see that he's older which I think is comforting for the audience but at the same time I almost found that damaging because he doesn't it doesn't seem like his relationship with Kate Mara is that weird like it almost seems like like they're 13 years apart in real life she's 37 he's 24 so like that would be you know that is a bigger gap but I guess because I can tell he's an adult that does that's not weird to me. You know what I mean that they I mean right, the teacher think- the teacher student thing obviously is like that's the weird part but when yeah. but I but it's almost it's weird when it's somebody who does not look it takes you out of the story I felt like. You know what I mean like I was I was aware that this was like an actor portraying a teenage boy who was being seduced by his adult yes, teacher. But I would much
2: rather watch that because like I don't know if you've ever seen Notes on a Scandal but like notes on a scandal which is a great movie i mean it won oscars it's got kate blanchett judy dench it's a uh-huh. it's a great movie but it also um portrays a student teacher relationship kate blanchett is the teacher mm-hmm. and the the guy they got to play the student looks like a child yeah. to me and yeah. it is so Uncomfortable to watch that, and I understand that that's what they're getting at. Yeah, because I I don't think the people who created this show really had to walk a very fine line um, in what they were doing, and so it makes sense to me that they would cast someone who, yeah, because. I wouldn't watch it. I, I simply wouldn't watch it if he looked like a 16-year-old.
1: So, let's talk about the way that they laid out these episodes, because I think that's a really important thing to talk about before we start going through them. So, originally A Teacher was a an independent film made by Hannah Fidel, and it premiered at Sundance in 2013, and it it's very similar. I didn't watch the movie, but I did read about the movie, and I watched the trailer. And Same. Yeah, yeah so th- th- it's interesting, because in this version the student is like a dick like he's just this jock asshole dick like it's really weird so you almost like the the criticism for the movie was like you almost don't feel bad for the victim because he's so unlikably written like that was kind of the fault with the movie so like they went into this show and the first Like three episodes, they premiered all at once on Hulu. And that's how I watched the first three episodes. And I was like, okay, I really want to know more. But I was really, really concerned about where they were going to take it after the first three episodes. Because they do kind of take you into the mind of both the abuser and the victim, I feel, by getting both of their perspectives where – you're watching it and you're almost seeing like, are they trying to tell me this is a love story? Like, it is this very kind of like, like you know it's bad because you know the situation is bad and you see trouble brewing. But when the couple is together, it does seem sensationalized in a way. It does seem very much like a regular romance in the first few episodes. Well,
2: yeah. Beyond that, even for me, throughout the series until the last couple of episodes, yeah. Um, it was clear to me that even though that they are trying to depict grooming behavior, and I actually did pick up on that. I I felt like they were being somewhat critical of the grooming behavior, trying to highlight it, even though it was kind of framed as this like um, flirtation
1: yeah. on behalf
2: of the teacher and student. But the issue that I had, this was from NPR, even if the series as a whole is critical of grooming, the sex scenes toe a dangerous line between critiquing and embracing the hot for teacher fantasy. There was a lot of, it was, they were telling you this is wrong, this is child abuse, but the sex scenes were so obviously supposed to be so titillating that it starts to fall apart for me because Uh they're deliberately trying to make you hot and bothered by this relationship while also trying to tell you how wrong it is, which I feel like waters
1: down the moral of the story at the yeah. end of it. Um, yeah, it it's an interesting choice to make because, like I said, it's interesting that it takes you into – the mind of a victim. I read a really great book years ago, and I'm not even going to tell you what the name of this book is because it has such a twist ending, but it kind of puts you in the mind of somebody that had Stockholm Syndrome that was kidnapped and held hostage for a long period of time. And at the end of the book, you almost feel bad that she was separated from the man who initially held her hostage. And you realize that like this, that's what the author did. And so to me, that's kind of an interesting way of telling a story. But The way that this show is set up, you know, with having the trigger warnings in the beginning and um, all of that kind of stuff, it seemed to me like that wasn't really their intent. It wasn't about making a piece of art about like, you know, getting into the minds, which it was in a way, but it was more to me, it seemed like an after school special for teenagers a little bit.
2: Except where, for highly, highly sexualized. But like that's what I'm
1: saying. So that was out of place. So it was like yeah. they they didn't have that line of where they were going to take it. So let's let's talk a little bit about educator sexual misconduct. And before we go any further into this, now that we're going to be talking about some specific examples of grooming and abuse and so on, if this is a sensitive topic for you, feel free to go ahead and not listen to this episode, Uh, skip through the things that make you feel uncomfortable, listen at your own discretion, and yeah, do what feels right for you. So educator sexual misconduct is a term used to describe behavior by an educator that is directed at a student and intended to sexually arouse or titillate the educator or child. This includes coaches, counselors, administrators, tutors, and aides. So while today we're going to be talking about kind of the the typical hot for teacher, you know, student-teacher in a classroom relationship. I have to say I hate that phrase. I hate it too. There is no
2: better way to say it because I've been racking my brain on how else to frame it. That you dislike Um, it? No, the the term hot for teacher I dislike so much that I'm like, oh, is there another way to talk about this trope where we don't have to use that phrase? I know. Um, But there's really... That's it, the it's only the most thing. concise way of saying it, of what it is, so that everybody understands exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. But God, does it skeeve me out so oh, It's so much.
1: bad. It's so bad. So... The misconduct pertains to any physical, verbal, or visible, such as showing pornography, sexual behavior between an educator and a student. So there was a study done by the U.S. Department of Education in 2004, which showed that 9.6% of high school students have experienced some sort of educator sexual misconduct during their school career. And across seven studies, the sex of the offender was most commonly male. But this is... uh, this is a really weird stat that they got because it's very broad. It says 4 to 43% were women. Right. I read the Did same you have article. the same one? Because I was like, this makes absolutely no sense to me. But I guess it would make sense. Like, I don't think – I think that this is obviously very, very underreported. I think this happens a lot more than people realize. I think there are many children that don't realize that they're being abused until much later in life and then don't report at the time. Which is why I'm wondering if there's that big uh, difference in the numbers.
2: Yeah, especially boys. And in this same article, they say that women account for fewer than 10% of all arrests made for sexual offenses, but that it's strongly suspected that the figure represents an underestimate of the actual number of crimes that occur. Definitely. Um, Because, again, this is such an interesting topic to talk about because... The way that we perceive female predators and male victims is so skewed because of the, you know, kind of like toxic culture of masculinity that we have in this country that a lot of people will either look on their I think a lot of boys will either look on their abuse as like a pride point, like they they really address that a lot in the show, as far yeah. as like,
1: oh, you're a legend, I, this is incredible that you had sex with your teacher, right? And that and that becomes a defense mechanism as well. I mean, I've done that in my own life, where when somebody tells you something is like dangerous or cool or whatever, you you kind of take away the part that made you feel uncomfortable. And you just want to gloat about the part that you feel is like bragging rights.
2: You know what I mean? Well, and especially as a boy, yeah. I mean, you have this, um, you know, attractive young teacher, right? And you are this like, you know, teenage boy who was able to hold her attention and it's supposed to be this this point of pride. It's not supposed to be abuse, yeah. um, which can make it very difficult to then process whatever kind of abuse you have suffered
1: yeah and it's difficult for any sort of like if you were to ever get any sort of legal help it makes it very difficult as well and that's something that they display in the show as well is that uh, the Eric character kind of kind of initiates like doesn't but do- like he does in some ways where like he kisses her first so in certain ways he is the initiator but because of the grooming that she's done. You know what I mean? So I think the fact that he made some of the first steps physically in the relationship that that made him question that. Well, or they, like- they
2: do address um, in the show That that all was very intentional. I mean, that's exactly what grooming is supposed to do. Right. um, Is to create these situations, right? Like, all of that was manufactured by her, even if he physically made the first steps. Exactly. And all of it plays into the guilt that you then feel feel later. And I read an article... I don't remember which article it was. I think maybe it was NPR uh, Mm -hmm. where they were talking about the differences between the film and the show. Uh And in the film, because um, the victim, Eric, the character, was more aggressive, more dominant in the relationship. It made it harder to see him as a victim. But in general, I took this... um, out of that article quote Mm -hmm. as a society we already struggle to recognize men as victims of abuse particularly when the abuse is at the hands of a woman and especially when the abuse is sexual in nature in a patriarchal culture in which men have traditionally taken the role of the sexual aggressor it's difficult to acknowledge when roles are reversed and the woman becomes the exploiter of power even more so if the male victim appears to exercise some control over the relationship yes then those lines that we've created get even more muddy exactly as far as victim perpetrator
1: and I think that is the perfect way to start kind of going into the series a little bit so starting with episode one we meet Claire Wilson who is played by Kate Mara and she is a 32 year old uh, teacher who is starting a new job at a local high school in a small town in Texas she's from the area that kind of thing uh, we see right away, although she seems to have a good job, and you know she makes friends right away. There, she seems really unhappy in her marriage. Um, there's mentions of infertility and being unable to have kids, and there's just there's a lot of obvious tension uh, between Claire and her husband in the beginning of the show. And I think this is setting up the fact that many abusers will blame marital issues as the reason that they targeted the child. So there was a woman by the name of Ramsey Bierce or Burce, however you want to say it. It doesn't matter. She's a piece of shit. Um, she was a – was she the – I think she might have been the one that was the um, former beauty queen – but oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think she was like Miss Kentucky, and then made it into like the top twelve of Miss America. I wrote it somewhere in my notes, so I'll find it later, and then I'll I'll confirm it. Um, but she was working in Wisconsin as a teacher, and she blamed her husband for the abuse. She said in court, yeah, she said in court that her husband was, quote, working all the time and was too distracted and overwhelmed with work to pay attention to me. To which I say, get a hobby or if you must have an affair, have an affair with somebody that's like of consenting age, you know? Adults, yeah.
2: She was the beauty queen. I just looked it up. Oh, thank you. Um, (laughs) That's not an excuse to abuse your power in such an incredible way. I mean, the show even gave... Um, Claire, a uh-huh. moral kind of like out whenever her friend suspects that she is having an affair. Yeah. Her friend almost endorses or fully endorses the idea that she could be cheating on her husband and having an affair yeah. with the assumption that it's with an adult. Um, And it's only when it's disclosed to her that the affair, the quote unquote affair that she is having is with her student, even though her student is now 18. Of consenting, yeah. you know, legal age, um, that that is a massive abuse of power uh-huh. that it becomes a, a real issue as it should be. Exactly. And, and so that's kind of the thing. You can't blame your husband for never being home because, look, we're not going to sit on this podcast and endorse having affairs. Nope. Uh, but... <laughs> If you're going to do it, there are lots of consenting
1: adults uh-huh. with who who are not under your direct care and supervision. Exactly, it does not mean that you have to take power and control. Over somebody younger than you. Uh, and then we meet Eric Walker. He's the captain of the school soccer team. He's popular. He's got a lot of good friends. And we see that he just broke up with this girl, Allison, who they shit on for being a feminist so many times in this show. I'm like, well, but boys the, person are who mean. Shits, <laughs> the
2: boy who shits on her, first of all, looks solidly 30. They make yes. a joke about the fact that he looks 30 in the show, but I'm like, no, that guy is at least 30 years old. Um, yeah. For sure. Why he's playing a 17-year-old, I don't know. But <laughs> the person they have shitting on her is kind of a piece of shit. So you're like, eh.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't need to take your word for it. That's you know? another really weird casting decision. And I don't talk about any of like the side... Uh, storylines in the show at all but there is a storyline where the guy who is like legit 30 is dating a girl and I can't remember her name right now but she's an actress she looks super young like she's got the and, she's cutest face. and she's playing a 14 yeah. year old and she's playing a 14 year old and she looks 14 like she looks 14 to me and he looks 30 that is the weird one to me where right. like it's that weird that casting was almost weirder to me than like teeny tiny Kate Mara and Nick Robinson, you know what I mean? It was yeah,
2: because in- Nick Robinson is like what six two? Like he's
1: so much taller than her. Yeah, as well. and yeah. he's more built. And like Kate Mara just looks like you could she'd blow away in the wind. Like yeah, she's teeny tiny. Oh my gosh, that girl. Okay, so like I said, Eric is really popular and he's cool and he's smart. And we learn in the next episode, I believe, that Claire didn't really get to be a kid when she was growing up. Her father was an alcoholic, and she had to take care of him, and she worried about him a lot. And I looked at that and I saw that maybe psychologically there was an attraction to Eric because maybe that was the type of person that either she wanted to be in high school or that she wanted to be with in high school. Like we get a lot of this kind of like midlife crisis yearning for what could have been from her. I believe we realized that she... Um, like her husband was the first man and only man she's ever been with. So I think that we we're supposed to kind of see Claire as also like having some unresolved childhood issues that are possibly contributing to the fact that she would be attracted to a student. Right. Well,
2: the thing that this show does, um, and it is going to make you uncomfortable, but it does make her sympathetic Mm -hmm. you you feel sympathetic towards her and you also feel sympathetic of course towards eric um not sure entirely how i feel about that but it's you understand that like she's leading a life in which she has come to realize is unsatisfying for her and i feel like a lot of people watching can relate to that especially if you grew up um trying to be good all your life and trying to toe this line and sacrificing things that you wanted for other people and then you panic, you know, and I think that you start to see her feeling like she's being cornered in this life that she's created that she doesn't, she's not sure she wants. Yeah, and just,
1: and you know, from all from her own making, but this is, this is kind of how I look at it, especially when I look at like the psychology behind somebody's, Uh, bad behavior is always the most fascinating thing to me where it's kind of like when we listen to true crime podcasts and we learn about the history of a killer or why they are the way they are. It's not so much about having sympathy for the person. It's more so having an understanding of why certain people behave the way that they do and why it's important for children to be cared for so that these things don't happen. You know, it's like, it's not saying that Claire is a victim because she's made all of these choices in her life and she has to live with them. But at the same time, having an understanding of maybe why these things happen, it helps us. It helps us, you know, I
2: feel like if Claire had had an extramarital relationship, Uh while that's, Uh, with this exact same storyline, the way that it had been set up. You mean with with an adult? With an adult, right. While, you know, the viewer might not condone the affair, the way that she is portrayed and her past is portrayed, Uh you could almost understand how she got to that point mentally, right? Definitely. And so I think it, it of course, complicates it. it makes it, It makes it a complicating show to
1: watch. (laughs) But I think that's the point. Like, I think it's supposed to be complicated. And that's part of the reason why I like I don't think this was any sort of like great award winning show. But I do appreciate how they went about the storytelling because I think it makes you think so much. But Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so then we also see that, you know, Eric's life isn't super easy. His mom is a single mother. He's got two younger brothers and he has to work at a diner after school to make money. And he really wants to be a doctor. That's his dream. And he wants to go to the University of Texas, but he has to do well on his SATs and he's just feeling like that's not going to happen. And so I don't know. I can't remember if Claire offers to tutor Eric or if Eric asks Claire to tutor him when they were at the diner during the first it's episode.
2: It's kind of a little muddy. I can't remember exactly either. I think she does offer. I mean, but she I think agrees.
1: He- which right. is a real
2: problem, you know, so. Well, but there's, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with a teacher
1: mentoring a student and wanting to help them with their SATs. At a diner? I, at a diner I, where I, they work? That sure. is a major, like, no, if you're going to be, if you're a teacher, like, if you're not an outside tutor, you should not have a teacher in your home. Like, that's, or, well, or, in, or in any, like, other public setting. Right, you know what I mean? But, that doesn't make but sense initially,
2: to initially, that's not what they, on the whole, a teacher offering to help you with your SATs, there's nothing right. wrong with that. Yeah. The situation was that she went out of her way to make the the encounters that they were having more and more intimate. It's part yeah. of grooming behavior. Exactly. Because I don't want to say that like a teacher mentoring a student is wrong. is always wrong. No. Like it's it's not always wrong. It's
1: it's the location, it's the intent. So I think the fact that they had set it up For them to be tutored at or to do their tutoring sessions at the diner after he was done with work. I think that was the first big and appropriate step that she took by not saying, let's schedule a time after school where you can come to my office and, you know, they can have the door open. Like, to me, that's when I needed help with school. That's what I did. I would go to a teacher's classroom after school and it would be on school grounds in a normal situation. It wouldn't be like at the coffee shop next door. Right. But this is such a great example. It
2: is something I think the show does very well because it is a good example of grooming behavior. It is exactly your teacher offering to help you isn't inherently yeah. wrong. And so Eric accepting that help is not, you know, it's no. not as though he went into that necessarily knowing the outcome of like what would happen next. No, but she, he wants help on adult, his SATs. Right. She as an adult and as a teacher, as an educator, did know better uh-huh. than to create these increasingly intimate
1: situations exactly, that, exactly. that were happening. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted to compare this to probably the most infamous um, example of a female teacher, male student relationship, which is Mary Kay Letourneau's story. Um, Disgusting. Disgusting. And I mean, that's, it's a long one. So I'm not even going to get into it because then we would never talk about a teacher after that because the story is so crazy but she began her abuse on a child when he was 12 years old when he needed help with a history assignment and whenever he got a question right she would remove an item of her clothing and then from there she took it like because he did well on this history assignment she took him out to dinner and then that was when they had their first kiss so that was kind of their escalation and grooming which reminded me a lot of the tutoring that Claire was giving Eric, obviously. Um, Alright, so we are now finally on episode two and Eric goes to a party at a friend's house and the party gets busted by the cops. So, of course everybody's freaking out, they're all high school students and they're drunk, but Eric remembers Claire telling him that her brother is a cop and notices that the name tag is the same as Claire's brother's name on the officer who's questioning him. So he is able to persuade the brother to call Claire to come pick him up, and Claire does.
2: Which is fucked up on many levels. Yes. Like,
1: the idea that a cop's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know know why he agreed to that. I mean... Maybe it's the small town Texas thing where it's kind of like we know each other, we'll look after. I don't know if they're – I mean, it definitely isn't protocol, I would have to say. I don't know for sure, but I would say that wouldn't be protocol to do that. Um, Especially because when she shows up, she talks to her brother and, like, talks the brother out of giving Eric a citation. So Eric completely gets away with, you know, the party and the drinking and the everything. So Claire becomes someone that he can trust, And a confidant. She's not going to tell on him. She's cool. And in that same interaction,
2: um, whenever she's driving him home, she then starts to say, like, you can call me Claire. You don't have to call me Miss Wilson. Um, She starts relating to him by playing like some Kendrick Lamar in the car. Um, All things which look. It, yeah, she's a person. Yes. She's not just a teacher. She's a, a woman in her early 30s. It would make sense for her to like cool music or or whatever and relate to students that way. Like, that makes sense. However, when you look at it from the lens of, a, of grooming behavior... It is absolutely... She's increasing the intimacy. She's also um, increasing the dependence on her. Now they have a secret. Uh He can't tell anybody that she got him out of this situation. He feels indebted to her. He can also relate to her because they like the same music. Um, And those are things that she is... Um, whether c- completely consciously or not, putting in place. Yeah, she's um, taking
1: those off in her head and, and realizing what's going on in the situation. And after this night, she feels confident enough that the next day, instead of taking him for the regular tutoring session at the diner, she makes it even more inappropriate by taking him to the University of Texas to give him, like, a campus tour. Right. And it also should be said we forgot to mention in the last episode before
2: she goes to the first tutoring um, thing with Eric, uh-huh. whenever she goes to meet him for the first time at the diner, she. You can see her deliberately choosing an outfit that's oh, very yes. low cut, doing her hair and her makeup, t- lying to her husband, telling her husband that she's going to mm-hmm. have brunch with a friend. Um, so she, the show is showing us that she knows what she's doing, right? Yes. Like she's not, she's smitten, quote unquote, with yeah. this child, and she is going out of her way to make herself look good a certain way yeah to exactly with them yeah
1: yeah so they go to the university of texas and she's giving him you know the campus tour and this is where she kind of opens up to him about her childhood and her college experience and the fact that you know she really didn't have what she felt was a childhood and uh Eric opens up to her as well about, you know, having a single mom and his life and everything like that. So it's another moment where they they kind of bond over shared experiences and you do, again, kind of start to see this longing uh, that Claire has. So perfectly, they run into somebody. Eric runs into somebody that he knows and they're like, let's go to this frat party. And Claire's like, yeah, that's a great idea. This was the first
2: real time when I was like, key jokey. Like, the, this was the most... I feel like um, obvious thing that she did that was really overstepping. Yeah, but there
1: was some tricky stuff that she did because I just remember this when they show up, they offer alcohol at first, and they both take just orange juice, I think, for mimosas. Yes. And mm-hmm. then, so it's kind of like, all right, well, we're going to be at this party, but like, because I'm going to show you college life, but I'm drinking orange juice. Like, we're going to be responsible. But even with that, like, you would not be able to
2: argue your way nope. out of that situation if another teacher had seen you at a frat party, uh-huh. you think telling them, well... We only got orange juice is really going oh, to Oh yes, but like, I'm
1: sure. I'm sure that the, that's part of her rationalization 100%. of the fact that you know, oh, okay, like I'm just, you know, I'm already here and I'm taking him, I'm showing him the college experience and like I'm not going to get him, you know, it's not like we're actually partying, like, you know, whatever, but they do end up drinking, I believe. Um, and then at the party is the first time that they almost kiss. There's kind of like a moment with them and then at the end of the episode we see that Claire ignores a text from her husband and ends up accepting Eric's follow request on Instagram. And then at the very, very end of the episode, sorry, they meet up at school and Eric kisses Claire. And Claire becomes very angry with him. And then I got very angry with her when I saw this because I was like, you set everything up in this kid's mind to think that you thought he was special and that you cared about him and wanted him to kiss you he is a child you can't then get mad at him for doing the things that you were literally like you know what i mean i think well i think the anger was deli- i think the show of anger was deliberate exactly, all of that exactly. is
2: part of uh, is part of the grooming behavior like she's she- very
1: selfish it's all
2: about her Well, and she every move that she makes is to have the outcome that she wants, which is the relationship, but to try and make herself look as innocent as possible every step of the way so that at the end, which she does do, she can then say, I didn't initiate this. I I wanted it to stop and she can point to that moment where he kisses her and say well I I kicked I got mad and I kicked him out of my office yep. it was all very calculated um when fully her intention was for them to be together. Yes, so,
1: fully. Which is why I was so frustrated when she got mad. It's like everything that you've done, you know, watching you get ready to go to the campus tour and everything that followed, it's like that's exactly the next step of what you wanted to happen. And now that it's here, you can't get mad at him for doing exactly what you wanted. So we start episode three and Claire is still mad at Eric for kissing her. And she's like, I can't tutor you anymore. But eventually he convinces her to continue to tutor him. He says, don't worry, this isn't going to be a problem. I'm not going to, you know, mention my feelings for you. I'm going to be okay. Everything is going to be good. And she's like, okay, I'll guess, I guess I'll guess i still be your tutor then. But then he doesn't show up to tutoring and uh-huh. she gets mad
2: about that. Like, it's all so manipulative. Oh, it, yeah. It's very much like a
1: high school um, relationship. It totally it's so high school so speaking of high school it's the homecoming dance so eric decides to take his ex allison the feminist to the homecoming dance although in his heart he is pining over miss wilson so of course claire is assigned to be one of the chaperones at this homecoming dance and that's where she i believe this is where she approaches him about not showing up to the tutoring session was that at the home? Yes. Yeah. So she confronts him at the dance, and Eric. In a dark alley.
2: Like in a, a stairwell dark alley. As well. It's in a stairwell, which I'm like, again. You're facilitating moments for you to be alone in somewhat intimate settings. Yes. Like if this was a legit above board teacher student, I'm tutoring you situation, you could talk to him. You could say, hey, Eric, can you please say after class, this is unacceptable. We had an appointment for me to tutor you. And you didn't um, show up. You didn't show up. I you're wasting my time like that would have been an appropriate way to handle that but to facilitate you follow him to the bathroom essentially wait for him to come out of the bathroom and then confront him in an empty dark stairwell yeah
1: exactly and then and then he you know divulges his feelings for her and says you know he can't control himself around her he can't eat he can't sleep it's like it's like he literally says that and you can I love when people do that where they write really cheesy things for like young characters because I feel like a lot of times teenagers speak that way. Where like They do though, yeah. Yeah, and it makes sense because to me that showed his innocence where he was like, I can't control myself, I can't eat, I can't sleep. It's like, oh my god, this boy thinks he can't control himself over a woman, you know what I mean? Like it shows that innocence of love, you know what I mean? Well, it
2: shows the hormones yeah, because you really feel that way. As a teenager, like everything is heightened and everything feels like the end of the world and You've never f- experienced like real love before or lust before, so you you don't know any other way of saying it exactly. than like I can't control myself, I can't eat, I can't sleep. I'm pretty sure I used the I can't eat,
1: I can't sleep line <laughs> when I was a teenager. So, okay, oh, again, I don't. <laughs> I think I was. I was. I think. I was much more rational in relationships and in love when I was a teenager than I have been as an adult, which is weird. Um, But anyway, so she confronts him in the hallway and Eric goes back to the dance. But then, of course, they're like making eyes at each other. And Eric leaves and Claire follows no, no, it
2: was the other way around. Oh, you're right. Claire. Claire, fa- Claire, Claire makes leaves. eye contact with him. Yes. She go because again, it's it's so deliberate. It's so calculated. She makes eye contact with him across the dance floor. Yep. Makes sure he sees her walk over to get her purse and her keys yep. and leads him out of the dance. Uh-huh. So he follows her yep. to her car. She gets in her car and waits for him to get in. Yep. And like, they, it it was
1: deliberate. It was very, very deliberate. And she goes
2: out of her way to say to him, um, "Is this what you want? Mm-hmm. I I don't want you to do anything that you don't want to do." So yep. therefore, absolving herself because she can tell herself this was consensual. Yep. Um. Uh, I didn't force him to do anything. Completely ignoring the fact that the power dynamics don't don't. That's not how that. That's not how this
1: works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it. Because there's something about the danger of it being in the back seat of a car and everything like that, too, where I just feel like it adds to it adds to the, the pressure, I feel like, and the control that she had over him because it was very much like get in the backseat and he got in the backseat. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like a sweet we're in bed together or anything or even on a couch. You know what I mean? It was just a very not sweet moment. You know what I mean? Yes, I think that the show did a good
2: job of um, really showing that she was in control of this situation Yeah, um, and really demonstrating that she's the adult and he is the child or that she is the dominant and he is the submissive in this situation. Definitely. so, yeah, I, while again, I think once we start getting into the sex scenes, uh-huh. um I feel like a lot of it is gratuitous.
1: This and, one is. Like the when they show the back I mean, it's the music that's played, it's the way, it's how much they show. Like I wish they would have more so implied the sexual relationship rather than showing it. I wonder if that maybe would have helped.
2: Um Yeah, I have a lot of issues message. with later on when they get to the ranch, I have a lot oh, of issues God, yeah. with
1: with That. Okay. Well, we are almost there. So we are on episode four, and the next time that they get together and she. Is abusing him, she decides that they need to come up with some ground rules for the relationship. So again, she is in control. She is coming up with the rules. And, you know, Eric has to obey to these things. So And constantly reinforcing to
2: him, I'm putting my life on the line. Yep. I'm putting my future on the line. Do you know what could happen to me if uh-huh. people found out? So really setting it up, um, putting a lot of responsibility
1: yeah. on him. Oh yeah, yeah, like you know, don't text me, don't send me pictures. We can only see each other on Mondays. It has to be don't like my pictures on Instagram, yeah. even though
2: you're following
1: me on Instagram exactly. and I've accepted. You know, like there's so many of these rules, but then she immediately just disregards all of them. But before I get into that, I just saw my other note that I wanted to say. Because we have kids that listen to the show, sorry, I don't mean to call you kids like that's condescending, but we have we have minors. How about that that listen to the show? If there is an adult that ever tells a minor to keep a secret, You do not need to keep that secret. You do not need to be adults secret keepers that's not what you're there for they don't need your help they don't need your support there's other adults in their lives that they can go to so if you ever Mm -hmm. have you do not have to protect any adult that ever makes you feel uncomfortable or has you keep any sort of secret so that for me you know the pressure of the confidentiality and things like that and feeling like he would destroy her life that is not his responsibility and that is not your responsibility if an adult or somebody in a position of power Puts that upon you. Just wanted to say that. Absolutely, really quick. yeah. Well said. Thank you. So, when Claire Claire meets a fellow teacher at school, and they decide to go out for drinks at a bar, and I think this is like where, yeah, they start kind of talking about the friend. I think, and Claire start talking about the fact that she's having a relationship, possibly. And well, it's not. They don't know yet at that point. Well, right. But she does
2: point out like, Oh, you have a hickey That's, on your neck. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's it's so wonderful that your husband can still give you hickeys. Like they they're kind of tiptoeing around her sexuality, yeah. but they don't come and they don't come out and say like, Oh, you're having an affair That's at this right. point. Yeah. yeah. So
1: but, you know, they're talking about it and then she goes off into the bathroom and she takes very kind of scandalous photos of herself and sends them to Eric via Snapchat. And this is actually something else that the quote-unquote beauty queen uh, Ramsey Beers did as well, where she sent her teenage student inappropriate photos of herself on Snapchat and claimed that she was meaning to send them to her husband, to which I say, then why do you even have your student on Snapchat? Like that shouldn't have been a mistake that could happen because your student right, those shouldn't lines even be on your Snapchat account. Shouldn't be crossed anyway. Yeah. Um.
2: And look, I'm going to say this. <laughs> no shade again to the minors who listen to this show. But as a woman in her early 30s, I do not see the appeal as an adult whatsoever in 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 dating a teenage oh well in dating a teenager like I I just like what could
1: you possibly (laughs) I know I know I'm (laughs) I'm the age now that the guy that I was with when I was younger started dating me when I was 18 like that's like I could not look at an 18 year old boy right now and want to spend quality time with him that doesn't sound fun to me
2: A hundred percent, and no shade to the 18-year-old boys who listen to this podcast, but it's just like, I... As a grown up with <laughs> yeah. like a four hundred one k like I'm like I why don't why are understand. you
1: why are you snapchatting with this child Yeah, it's very 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 weird. Um, so she's snapchatting him all this all these pictures and already breaking rules because she's saying she wants to see him now and he's like, well, I'm I'm babysitting my brothers. My mom is on a date. I can't do this. But of course, because she is the one in control and, like, turning him on. I mean, she's sending him these sexy pictures and he's a young boy who's into this, you know, hot woman, I guess. And so It makes him feel bad. For not like, coming makes, out, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So he makes the bad decision of finding a neighbor girl and leaving his younger brothers with the neighbor, which ends up, you know, hurting... One of the brothers gets injured and he gets in trouble with his mother. Um, but he goes out and he meets Claire and they're They're together again. And this is when he says that, look, I don't want to just be a hookup with you. I want to be, you know, in a relationship with you. I want to have more with you. And Claire reciprocates those feelings. So when he gets home and he gets in trouble with his mom, it's almost like that's secondary. It doesn't even really make a big deal that he's in trouble because he goes into the mirror and starts doing the whole like, I'm the man. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm the man. I'm a legend. Yeah, exactly. So he kind of it's like that, that lack of responsibility. And the fact that he got in trouble didn't really affect him. Because like, not only now is he hooking up with this woman, but she's saying that she actually has feelings for him. And he he probably feels pretty good at this point. Like he's got a girlfriend, you know? Yeah, he's got a girlfriend who he thinks is
2: smart and beautiful and different from the other girls, you know, and it's a secret. And they actually say, you know, earlier in the show that people want what they can't have and there is an appeal to that, um, like, kind of secret romance yeah. thing. But you there's know? ways
1: to legally have secret romances. That's all I'm
2: saying. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but, yeah. like, for him, like, in that moment, there's a lot of stuff that makes it feel very attractive yeah, to him. Yeah,
1: totally. Um, so episode five, this is when we get to the getaway for Eric's 18th birthday. Oh, for fuck's so sake. It's so gross. Like, celebrating the fact that the minor you've been abusing is finally legally of age by taking him away on a vacation for just the two of you is the creepiest thing I've ever said. Like, yeah. Too,
2: which is like,
1: and, I'm like, what? Why did you tell your husband you were doing? She for, said like, <laughs> he, she was at like a teacher conference, is what she said, because she's on the phone with him a couple times, and Eric is like feeling weird because she has to talk to her husband. But the thing but that... This, this,
2: this situation is when I feel like a lot of the gratuitous sex that doesn't need to well, be in this
1: yes, happens. But I wanted to say that this... This situation, more than anything, normalizes their relationship. It makes it really seem like they are boyfriend and girlfriend. It gives Eric that security that she is there for him. There is something very adult about it. Like, I remember the first time that I ever went away with a boyfriend and we stayed in a hotel room and things like that. Like, there is something, again, very mature and different and adult about the situation that normalizes it. Like, I think any 17, 18-year-old would be impressed if their significant other like rented a house for them for of like a week-long getaway. You know what I mean? So that's very impressive and very normal at the same time. Right, right. She's deliberately doing things that his high
2: school girlfriend couldn't do for him. Yeah. She's buying him beer. She's taking him away on these like romantic getaways. These things that, yeah, if you're in high school, in a high school relationship would not be normal. Um, So he's getting to feel very grown up. She says that he's a wonderful man. Yep. They have like deep conversations about their childhoods and it makes him feel like an adult yeah you know and that's very attractive exactly when you're in high school exactly well know? he
1: feels like an adult I think as well because like being the oldest child of a single mother and being the oldest man at the house I'm sure that there was a part of him that maybe already felt like he was older than some of his other friends in that way as well so there there could have also been that comfortability with a fellow adult in that way as well so there is a moment where he Eric gets upset that Claire is talking to her husband on the phone and, like, you know, he's starting to show just some worry about the future of their relationship. And instead of, like reassuring him or having it be about him at all Claire immediately then turns it back on herself because she says well you're just going to forget about me and you're going to go to college and I'm not going to be anything anymore which then makes Eric have to comfort her and say no 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 I love you I love you I'm never going to leave you I'm never going to leave you I love right. you so and much again, she does the
2: thing as well where she says like you don't have basically what she's saying is you don't have any right to be upset with me because I'm risking my life yeah. to be with you and that should be enough essentially i should be able to treat you however i want because i'm risking so much yes. even just so, being with you and so it makes him indebted to her even deeper
1: yeah uh, yeah so after their getaway and like you said the gratuitous sex scenes the the normalizing of the relationship and again i think they did that on purpose not only for the sake of nick's character but for the sake of the audience to kind of see the fact that it wasn't just this eric's character sorry what did i say Nick. (laughs) Oh, that's the actor's name. That's right. Eric's character. Um... You know, because I think it, it helps the audience see where where the mindset was in both of these characters to understand why Claire makes the decision of what she does next. Because I think both of them at this point have this false sense of reality that somehow they're going to make it and they're different. I mean, he's 18. They love each other. And so I think both of them kind of get it into their heads that somehow they're going to make this work and they're going to have the best love story ever. So, right. And the
2: audience is, I think, supposed to feel that. So yeah. like, while a- – I stand by thinking that some of like the one that comes to mind is he asks her to like take her underwear off and like yeah. there's a sex there while I think that there are sex scenes that don't need to exist and I feel like are there um in order to titillize the audience uh-huh. in a way that I think is unnecessary. I do also understand that they were what they were doing as far as I think that they were trying to create um, this sense of normalcy that like, yeah, he's of age now. How big is their age difference? Really? He'll be graduating high school soon. uh, And maybe this is a, this could be a relationship. Yeah. And not that you, the audience are rooting for it to be a relationship. No, you're kind of worried that that that's what you think is going to happen, you know? Right. But that you understand that this is where the, the, character's mindset is exactly exactly yeah. so
1: that night you know during all of this time Claire's husband like quits his job and restarts this band which she thinks is ridiculous and so he's got this gig so she goes to it with this coworker the friend of hers that you know she was at the bar with earlier and things like that so they have a bit of a closer relationship and they go outside and they're like kind of sneaking alcohol and drinking a little bit and they start kind of talking about Claire's love life again and it does come out that she's having an affair and so the friend is like, who is it? Do I know him? Like, come on, tell me more. And This, to me, I thought,
2: did not make sense writing-wise. I was like, she would not tell her. Okay,
1: but this is the... So I thought the same thing. I was like, there is no woman or person in the world that would stupidly brag about this. But I read this story about this former teacher from Florida called Leslie Bushart, who allegedly performed oral sex on a minor during a graduation party, then bragged about it afterwards to party guests. You...
2: oh oh. yeah so first
1: of all why are so many of these
2: women from florida because deborah lafave is also from florida and i'm like why 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 because when i was watching this it didn't make sense to me for the character to have done this it's not like she was uproariously drunk or anything and it's another teacher
1: she tells too like there's that's she's a uh what is the word i'm looking for uh when you when you have to report a mandatory reporter. Right. So, yeah. like, you're thats the stupidest decision the you same could have school made. As you, like,
2: yeah, it's a Girl. teacher at the same school. Girl, like, you're so Why dumb. would you have done that? Um,
1: but she does and immediately recognizes her mistake. Because yeah. And she tries to justify it because Eric's 18 now and all this kind of stuff. And they love each other. Uh-huh. So it's not the
2: same. It's not abuse. And the teacher says, you know, it doesn't matter if he's of age. This is a massive violation of trust and power. Yep. Like, you, I have to report you. She basically says, like, I have to report you, which I was very grateful for because they do kind of set this teacher up to be like a rule breaker. Yeah. Right
1: like, and and stuff like that, but she recognizes that like there are there lines li- we cannot cross. Yep, there is a yeah. big big line. Uh, so that's the end of that episode. And then episode six, we see that the report or no, wait at the end of that episode, doesn't Claire turn herself in? Is that the episode where at the end of that episode she tells her husband?
2: So yes. like they're in bed together, and she says, "I'm having an affair." And he's like, what? Yeah. she's like, and it's with my student. And I think it's the end of that episode where police show up at Eric's house because there has been a report filed at that point. Yes, that's Um, right. So,
1: yes. okay, you're right. So the report is filed and the police show up at Eric's home and he tells them everything. And at this point he feels he like he tries to
2: deny it at first yeah, that is true but. yeah he
1: he kind of denies it and then once they're like look we know like there's been a report and like we know this that this has been going on he opens up and tells the truth but he feels really really guilty because he knows because claire has told him so that her life is going to be ruined her life is going to be over so even though he didn't He didn't tell. He didn't do anything wrong. He feels responsible for anything that is going to happen to her because he was honest with the police, which is what, which was the the right decision for him to make. You know,
2: right? I mean, and her husband, for his part, um, they get the brother involved. They're like, "We're going to try and work through this, get you out of this as much as possible." Basically, Um, so. The husband says, I'm going to stand by you. We're yes. going to make this work, which I think is actually not what she wanted to hear. No. Like later on at the end of the series, she says she was trying to implode her marriage. And th- even having done this thing, which will destroy the rest of her life, did not implode her marriage. No, and he so still loved like, her. Okay. I'm going to go for a walk. And instead, this very Mary Kay Letourneau-esque yes. um, gets in her car and drives to meet Eric. Yep. Um, the two of them meet. And he basically says, like, let's run away together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, that's crazy. Oh we my God. can't do that. Um, but of course she does and they run away to a hotel.
1: She gets wasted. Yes. And this was the hardest scene for me to watch because mm-hmm. so earlier in the episode when she and her husband are talking about, you know, how he wants to make the marriage work. She's just kind of lying in bed and saying, how can you look at me? How can you look at me? And then in the scene where she's drunk with Eric in the motel room and she you know, kind of forces him to start being intimate with her and very aggressively keeps telling him to look at her, look at her. And you can tell for the first time that this is where Eric's, Eric's mind shifts a lot. And I think he realizes that this isn't maybe the romantic getaway romance that he thought it was going to be that this person actually has a lot of problems. And I'm in a, I'm in a dirty motel drinking liquor out of plastic cups with right, this adult woman, you know, enough to realize that there
2: is no where for them to go. Like there is, what's the outcome of this? Well, you know? and it's,
1: and I think he's realizing that it's not even going to be worth it with what they have. I mean, the, the place they they're not in the getaway at the ranch anymore. They are in a dirty motel. And it's not loving and cute sex anymore. It's suddenly more aggressive and sad and emotional. And it's kind of like that veil kind of falls a little bit on what he thinks their relationship is. And so he does end up making the right decision and leaves before Claire wakes up in the morning, which then um, you know, leads her to go to the police um uh, the police station and turn herself in. Yeah, for
2: me the most heartbreaking moment was when he gets back home. Yes and his mom has been waiting for him. <sighs> you know, because the mother, like in that situation, I feel like the show almost doesn't spend enough time looking oh, at. Oh, not at all. I know all. it's not not the point, but um from the mother's perspective, you get little glimpses that she's like Okay, like this teacher's taking an interest in my kid, and I don't have enough time to really be here, so I guess it's okay, but also a little weird. Um, so when he does come home, and like you see him be a child for a moment, yeah, um, where she's holding him and he's crying, and she's you know, she's a
1: really great mom because through all of this, she kind of lets him go through his own cycle of things and always encourages him to get help, but never really pressures him. Like, the mom really is like. The hero of the show I feel like that's just not celebrated enough um so in episode seven we're fast forwarding a little bit and Eric is now at UT at the University of Texas and he's seen as like a legend for like fucking the hot teacher and he wants to yeah be I a think fret. we need to have a whole episode on Greek culture Ugh. because I
2: have major issues oh me too with, with Greek culture in college culture in our country. First of all, it's weird because other countries don't do it. Um, but secondly, you really highlight the most toxic aspects of it oh, yeah. in this show. Um, you know, the very toxic masculinity uh-huh. that happens within fraternities. Yeah. Where it doesn't matter that this is a person who is clearly struggling uh-huh. um, emotionally and mentally. they just don't, and I understand part of that is just young, young men. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the way that they are. Young people can be a little bit clueless, um, but he is kind of put in this position where he is forced to accept his status yes. as this like sexual being and legend yeah. and that this relationship that he thought was a relationship yes. based on love um, gets kind of boiled down to this like
1: scandalous hot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you mm-hmm. see him think that maybe then if he takes that persona on. And makes it and makes it real that maybe that's going to help him heal, you know. So he he leans into it. He tries to at first, you know, where he goes along with the parties and the frat and all that kind of stuff. And then there is a moment where there's one night where there, I wrote in my notes running for the frat, but I think I meant pledging. I don't know shit about Greek mm, culture. Yes. <laughs> He's running for the frat. Um, there was a party, and they invite an exotic dancer over, and she totally targets him and starts saying things about. Teacher, and you know, is you can see him just completely break down and be so aware. I mean, there's an entire group of guys in the room that are cheering her on and cheering him on, and he is just completely broken and thankfully decides that the frat is not for him um, um, right well you see him really partake in a lot of very
2: dangerous behavior uh-huh. with these frat members prior to that I mean he he is in that scene or in the scene where he had pledged earlier that day he's covered in bruises his face is all cut up oh, yeah. because he was you know kind of car surfing and was thrown from the top of a car yeah. uh, he's engaging in a lot of someone maybe dangerous sexual activity
1: like it's it's very self-destructive it's self-destructive and it's also really really common behavior and i just remember something else that i wrote in my notes somewhere but i was reading that the responses that women and men have to sexual abuse is actually very very similar Um, and both men and women tend to uh start behaving with more recklessness uh they start to You know, maybe be a bit more promiscuous sexually or dangerous sexually and things like that. And that is a very common thing, but it is seen very differently between men and women Um, obviously you know when a woman sleeps with a lot of men it's seen one way but when a man is sleeping with a lot of women it's seen as another so that's not necessarily seen as like a cry for help it's just a guy sleeping with girls you know
2: especially in college I feel like a lot of the behavior that he exhibits um, while we can look at it and say this is a trauma response I feel like a lot of people would be looking at it and saying this is normal male college behavior to have a lot Of sex drink a lot engage in you know fighting or other dangerous mm-hmm. uh, physically harmful activities um where we, in the context of this show, know that that is coming from a place of him trying to process his trauma. Yes, um, Everyone around him is just kind of saying like, oh, you're enjoying the college life. And right. that's what's happening here. Yeah. Except
1: for his mom. <laughs> exactly. Well, and then also he can't victimize himself because there is such an idea in this culture that being a victim is inherently feminine. So I think there's also this idea that he has to prove to himself that he isn't this weak, you know, Victim, well, and at this point, you know? he still thinks that the relationship was a
2: relationship yeah. was a loving relationship. And he has a conversation with like the head of his fraternity or whatever, mm-hmm. um, where that is reinforced because he's saying, I don't see why she should have gotten eight years or whatever, which is what she was sentenced to shouldn't end up serving that. Um, because It wasn't like that. It's what I wanted. And the guy is basically saying, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't see how this was a crime. Uh Like, she's a hot teacher. You wanted it. So I don't understand why it was a problem. Exactly. And so that's very confusing if you're trying to process that perhaps you are a victim and you have people reinforcing this idea that, like, no, you're not. And it
1: takes him a while to find people that do reinforce that about him so it really is a struggle for him at this point in the show the next episode we see claire leaving jail and she is going to be living with her brother and his wife with their children and the fan the wife is not a fan of this situation and i wasn't either so i actually googled this to see if a registered sex offender could live in a house with children who aren't theirs because i've even heard of stories where like husband like fathers or mothers will be accused of Um, sexual misconduct and be on the registry and not even be able to have their own children in their home. So the fact that she was able to stay with her niece and nephew was really confusing to me. And it is kind of a blurred line. There's an example from 2005 where there was a man who had been convicted of molesting a 12-year-old girl that he knew, and he served two years in prison and then went on parole. And then during that time, his daughter and granddaughter were going through a custody battle and a divorce. So they moved in with the grandpa, the dad, who is a registered sex offender, and he ended up abusing this two-year-old girl as well because they didn't they thought it was like a fluke or a one-off they didn't understand that it would continue so they let well, a, a sex offender live with a child
2: i'm wondering what in the show what she actually pled to and was convicted yes. of because they say um they've they say several times that if he hadn't asked, it's part of what makes him feel so guilty. Like if I hadn't asked her to run away, then this may not have happened yeah. because I think she got the charges that she got because of the kidnapping charge. Like I think right. that that's why she got the time that she did um, because they, they were saying that she may not have even seen jail time had it not been for her taking him away. That's right. So, I, I, but then later on, she does say that she's not allowed to go to school functions and things like that. So, yeah, I don't know.
1: It's, well, and she's, she's on, like, house arrest. She's got a monitor on, but she can, you know, look for jobs and things like that. So, she goes out and she tries to find a job at a retail store. And it's looking good. But then somebody comes in that recognizes her and says that she's a sexual predator and announces it to the entire store. And then Claire runs out crying because her feelings are hurt because she was called out for being a sexual predator. And... She has. It's very clear she doesn't see herself, though. No, not at all. Which I think is an
2: interesting way. I mean, I think it's a smart way for the show to address that. Like, she does not think of herself that way at all.
1: Yeah, she. She, her true colors are shown a lot in the last few episodes where you're just like, "Oh God, you're really awful, because then she sits at dinner with her brother and she's like complaining that she's not going to get a job because this woman, you know, told everybody that she's a sexual predator. And luckily, the brother actually takes the side of that other woman being like, well, you have to live with what you did, which makes Claire even more angry. And she goes and decides to live with her father But before that, so Eric has found out that Claire is no
2: longer in jail. So he goes to see her. Well, he texts her and says, can I see you? And she says, yes. Yeah. Which is
1: ridiculous. And this is my question. Why she said yes but why would they meet where they met like if if I was meeting somebody that I like legally was not allowed to see why are you coming then to the house that she's staying at like you're just asking to get caught and your brother's a cop yeah like Like, what are you doing like meet in a park somewhere if you're really I mean sorry I'm not trying to tell her how to do bad things but but like that didn't make any sense to me I was like why would she let him come over that's really weird
2: well and then again she does this push pull thing Uh which is very manipulative by allowing him to come, saying I I told you know the other teacher because I wanted someone to understand how in love we were and I wanted to share our happiness yeah. with someone else and then chastises him, tells him to leave. Uh-huh. Says I don't want to see you anymore. Um, I'm violating my parole by seeing you right now. Uh, it's just it's so manipulative. Yeah,
1: the way that she. Handles her relationship with this she's poor still kid. she still very much has all of the control in the relationship and lack thereof. She's still the one calling the shots and playing with Eric's real true feelings and emotions, and it's just so sad to watch. So the second to last episode, we kind of see both of them trying to move on with their lives a little bit. Claire decides that it's a good idea to start using Tinder, even though she is a media sensation for being a pedophile, which makes no sense. Like she's Googled herself and knows that there's all these articles about her and people know who she is. Is online dating really the way you want to go, girl?
2: You know what I mean? I mean, I think jumping back into the dating pool at all at this moment would be
1: questionable at best. True, 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 but. true, true, true. So she goes on this Tinder date, and I can't remember the actor's name, but I love him. He was he was on, like, a Disney Channel show, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, like, in a Disney Channel movie, and a bunch of, like, you grew up watching this kid. He was Jack's son in Will and Grace. Like, he's been in so many things. I love that actor, so I was happy to see him, but he played the creepiest character. So she's on this Tinder date, and... um you know, it's going really well. So he invites her back to his place and they start kind of fooling around. And then while they're having sex, he like brings up the fact that she's the teacher and he starts calling her like a slut and it, it becomes very, very rough, aggressive sex. And you see Claire um kind of accepting that, I think, as like another form of of punishment for herself. And she starts to kind of allow herself to be treated in that way by this date. Mm -hmm. So when Claire goes back to this date another time after a lot of other things happen in the episode, she's obviously very upset. She comes to him and she asks him to hit her, which luckily he's reluctant to do. Like this guy, the first time we saw him seemed like a real creep. So I got very nervous about what was going to happen in this situation. But he's like, you want me to hit you? And I mean, <sighs> he does do it. He does it. <laughs> and then and she says, harder, harder. Like he kept do he keeps doing it and then eventually she's bleeding and he's like, I like I need to stop. This is too much. And she's like, No, keep hitting me. Like, you know, she just obviously is like losing it. Self
2: flagellation. Like yeah. she feels like she needs to repent Uh for what she's done. And she's working it out in this uh, highly fucked up way.
1: She really needs to go to therapy. Really, really, really needs to go to therapy. And then also during this episode, we see Eric at a bar and he meets this group of girls who are having a bachelorette party and they're, you know, like a little bit older than him. And they're all, you know, he just kind of hangs out with these lovely girls all night and kind of has a good time. And, They're, you know, kind of trying to set him up with one of the single friends and all this kind of stuff. And when the bachelorette friends leave, the girl that they were trying to set Eric up with, they, you know, have a bit of a moment together and they dance. And then suddenly the girl breaks down crying. And Eric obviously is very confused, like, what did I do? And she leaves. And luckily he follows her outside and they start talking and she opens up to him about... Uh, a past relationship that she was in and the fact that she is working through, you know, trauma from a past relationship that she didn't realize was traumatic at the time, which really opens up Eric's mind, I think, that to realize that he needs help and that what he's feeling and experiencing is normal, you know, and it's not anything to be ashamed. By. Yeah. And again, it leads to one of the
2: most heart wrenching moments, again, having to do with the mom when he finally does go to his mom and says, I think I need help. And she says, I know you do. And like and and it's a beautiful moment to actually be able to see him acknowledge that, like, I think that I'm processing trauma. And I
1: think that I'm ready to accept the help that's been yes, offered. to And the to fact me. that the mother just let him like that's I know that has to be the hardest thing being a parent is letting your child make those mistakes and work through things in their own way. But she is such a good mother in the way that she lets him do that while continually supporting him so that when he is ready for the support, she's there and she knows exactly how to help him. Like I just the mother character was written beautifully and I loved it. Um. All right. Episode 10. We are on the final episode. We are going long. Uh, this fast forwards 10 years later. We see that Claire is married. She's got two daughters and she is still living in Texas. And we see that. Well, I think she came back to the area for her father's um
2: birthday. Yeah, she lives like, I don't know if she's still living in Texas, but she does come back to the the town or whatever. I don't think she's living in that town anymore.
1: I think I read that she lived in Houston or something. So maybe she lived like nearby or something like that. So she was in town Mm -hmm. and in that area. And then we also see that Eric has kind of gone on, you know, he did not become a doctor. He didn't do any of those things that in the beginning of the show, he said were his dreams of doing. He is working as kind of the leader of this therapeutic wilderness retreat for these different teenagers that are going through different struggles, and it's obviously something really fulfilling to him, helpful to him, and he clearly loves his job. Um, and we learn, you know, when he's chatting with one of his buddies and coworkers that his 10-year high school reunion is coming up, and his buddy's like, oh, my God, man, you got to go. Mine was so much fun. You're going to love it. And so... It looked boring it, as hell, though, I got to no, be honest. that, that- What? That reunion in that auditorium did not look like a That's good time. what every like, <laughs> high school reunion looks like. I'm like, why do people have an idea that that's going to be fun? The people that I want to see from high school, I will see them. I don't need to go to my old high school and meet up with all the people that I didn't like or didn't even know in high school. I probably would have gone to mine had it not been,
2: you know, on the other side of the country. But
1: I mean, but especially if you were close by and your home all the time. I don't know. I just don't – I don't see the point in high school reunions really, but – That's just me. Uh, So he's like, all right, I'll go, whatever. So he shows up and he shows up at like the end. So everybody's leaving. But he does get to see some of his buddies and, you know, the other storylines are kind of tied up through there a little bit. Well, wait, well, yes, that that's day, why he late.
2: runs into her at the grocery store. Yes. So he hasn't seen her in a long time. He's realized that he was abused uh-huh. in the last 10 years. Um So his relationship to her or his memories of her have changed considerably. Yes. Uh, and he's at the grocery store and she's there with one of her daughters and they see each other. And he is so triggered by this moment that he leaves without getting the things that he was going to get. He go, He gets, he in, gets his in his car, car and leave. he
1: shows up late to the reunion. Like, he's very shaken by this. And it's interesting because Claire seems oblivious to the fact that Eric is uncomfortable. I mean, Claire is clearly feeling awkward as well, but... I don't think she realizes she is clear that she doesn't realize the gravity of what she's done to this boy. If she feels that comfortable to have a conversation with him in the grocery store, you know, I think that her
2: memories of, uh, you know, while his have changed and shifted, Uh I feel like she has some understanding just from other people telling her that, hey, this wasn't okay. What you did to this boy wasn't okay because they do say that several times. But I think that. Her memories largely still think of their interactions as romantic. Yeah, ones, I, I don't think you know, she realizes
1: like, the you know she knows that the relationship was wrong, but I don't think she realizes that the depth that the abuse took hold on on this boy and and the things that she did, the small manipulative things that she did, and how that affected him in the long term and things like that. Um, so yes, they run into each other at the grocery store. He ends up being late for the reunion. Um, and then Claire decides it's a good idea to text Eric and ask to meet for lunch, which just made me so mad. It's like, what, you want to just meet up and, like, have a sandwich and chat with him now? Like... I feel like that's very common, though. I mean, I feel like it
2: would be very common. Like, you're both adults now. Yeah. Her recollection of that time together is different than the recollection that he has had. She thinks of it as like visiting an ex. Well, and I think it's that. And then also she recognizes that society-wise at least um, what she did was wrong and she wants to absolve herself of any right. guilt that she might any residual guilt because she wants to have a nice lunch interaction with this person that then she can look back on and say okay he wasn't as damaged as everybody told right. me that he yeah and you
1: know they kind of They get into a storyline as well with the fact that her father was an alcoholic and, you know, kind of learning about that you know i it almost seemed to me like she was making an amends a little bit like there is the idea with alcoholics anonymous where like once you make an amends you can kind of not really absolve yourself of it but like it's this healing experience of you can move yeah forward. exactly and you know it it doesn't always work the way that you want it to work out and it clearly didn't work out the way that she wanted it to um because i think like you said she wanted to absolve herself of a lot of those really negative feelings she had about herself um But Eric very, very bravely explains to her how he blamed himself all of these years for um, for their relationship and for the things that took place. But he finally has realized that Claire took advantage of him and well, because she says to
2: him. I'm sorry that I didn't rebuff your advances, yes. basically. Like, she does try to share blame uh-huh. with uh-huh. him, where she says, um, you know, I realized I was the adult in this situation and I That's should right. have um, made sure not to lead you on any further from the things that you were trying to do. You kissed me. You uh-huh. tried to advance uh-huh. this relationship. And so he does say to her, um, thank God for the therapy that he has had that has allowed him this perspective. I know, and t- Give him the words to say it because it was wonderful. Yes. Yeah, because he then says to her, is that what you think was yeah. happening? I have lived with this guilt for so long and it took me a long time to realize that you were facilitating those moments um, for us to be alone together. You were abusing your uh-huh. power with me and trying to make me feel like I was somehow responsible for this relationship yep. um, when I was a child. Because also you see that his one of his little brothers is seventeen uh-huh. now and looks and is actually being played by yeah. a teenage like, actor, a, not and a twenty five year old. <laughs> and looks young and and so he says that. He says, you know, my brother is seventeen and he looks like a uh-huh. baby. Like how could you have thought that this was exactly okay? And he says all of that to her face and he says, you know, and she tries to argue by saying, like, I'm still I, judged
1: every day of my life. I'm one Google away from my life being over. From yeah, And it's just yeah. like, you're still, like, girl, you still don't see it. It's not about you. It's about him. And she could have taken this opportunity to at least have listened to him and accepted what he said and kept her goddamn mouth shut and let him have his peace, which is why I'm so grateful that he did stand up And say, you know, this is something that we are both just going to have to live with. We are both going to have to deal with this for the rest of our lives with you being a predator and me being the victim of that. And he leaves. You know, it was interesting to me because
2: I read an article talking about Deborah Uh LaFave um, and where she is now. And that's an interesting (laughs) one as well. It's interesting, you know, she was a 24-year-old teacher who engaged um, in sexual misconduct with her 14-year-old student over the course uh, of, uh, you know, a period of time. Um, She was sentenced, there's a whole conversation to be had about whether or not uh, female sexual offenders get lighter sentences. I think generally they do. She was sentenced to three years house arrest and seven years probation and registered as a sex offender. But what I found was interesting. interesting in the interview was that a friend of hers said that seeing um, all of these you know teacher student relationships that now are kind of commonplace that pop up in the news saying that it triggers her quote that whole episode of her life is like a bad dream it's part of her life story a chapter she wants to forget nope and quote her heart always goes out to everyone involved obviously the students but also the (gasps) teacher she of all people realizes that one dumb decision when you're 24 can follow you for the rest of your life she's a different person now but her past follows her every
1: day and that is the most ignorant thing to say in that situation that is so but it's it echoes kind of what Claire is feeling at the end of the series Where it's like, like Trump saying those lovely people on both sides no there is clearly a predator and a victim clear clear as day
2: right i mean and you can say that yes a decision that you made is going to haunt you for the rest because of your you life, made a really bad is, decision and it should right yeah and the point is like at no point do you need to emphasize that yes we know that you are one google search away from ruin like we Boo, know that who. however it's really not a About you and so to come out and say that out loud um, I mean we have to live with the decisions that we make and unfortunately the decision that you made uh, could lead to a lot of psychological fallout.
1: Right and that's the thing is like I that almost shows to me the importance of the predator getting psychological help as well because I feel like that's something that you need to work through with a with a medical professional to help you realize the reality of the situation as well so that you can heal. Because that's not, for a person who's made a really, really bad decision, There, you do want to not necessarily absolve yourself, but you do need to go on with your life in some way, shape, or form. And I think that the best way to do that is by taking responsibility. So by going to therapy, by getting the help that you need, by realizing the bad decisions that you've made and not continuing to perpetuate this You know, victimization of yourself, you know, even years Mm -hmm. and years later, woe is me, my life is so hard when this victim has probably had to put so much money and hours and time into Just becoming whole again and feeling better. You know, I was reading so many other stories of real life examples of these and, you know, reading stories of young boys saying that they couldn't look at women the same way again. And that's scary and sad. Uh, Feeling that they don't have the same relationships with other people anymore. Distrust. And the predator doesn't have to go through any of that. They can just rationalize and move ahead, which is why I think it's really important. Like everyone needs to be in therapy. The end. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. I read a counseling.org um,
2: academic uh-huh. article that was talking about the fallout of sexual abuse. Yeah. On men. I think we read the same article. Um, and I think, <laughs> I think that the article was really focused a lot more on, you know, familial sexual abuse within the home um, much younger, but I think that it still applies. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a paragraph from that article. It says, though each male survivor's narrative is unique. To his personal experience and worldview, research suggests that there are some shared symptoms resulting from child sexual abuse, e.g. distrust, distancing behaviors, substance abuse. These men may struggle to form and maintain close relationships, to feel safe with others, and to establish intimate partnerships. Uh They also highlighted um, that a lot of them have difficulty trusting themselves to start their own families or have children. Just. I feel like we as a society don't tend to focus on the fallout that sexual abuse can have on yes. boys. We have these conversations, Openly and often about women, rightly so, and Uh we should, uh, because percentage wise, yeah. Statistically, (laughs) it happens to women a lot more than it happens to men. But we have to change the narrative in which we talk about this. And that's to me why the hot for teacher trope, quote unquote, is so.
1: Damaging. Uh,
2: it bothers yeah. me. It da- It's so damaging to me um, that it exists at all. The way that this particular show handled it is probably the best way that it can right. be handled outside of what I think are unnecessary um, male gazey sexual yeah, situations. Yeah, but I think it's a good um, thing
1: because unless you're really looking for these real stories and you're watching these documentaries, like I've seen the Mary Kay Letourne documentary and I Mm listened to these stories. It's something I'm familiar with, but I appreciate the fact that it was brought to an audience at a wider scale so that people can have the realization that these young boys go through this and what, and how their experience is different than girls because there's been so many shows, you know, some Mm -hmm. handled, great, some handled not so great about what women go through with sexual assault. So the fact that there is an example out there for parents, for teachers, for adults to to use as a guideline to understand what could be happening with their children and what signs to look out well, for. Well, and, and to keep in mind, because
2: I feel like when these stories come out, even now you can look at like the Yahoo or people comment sections and it's going to be flooded with people who say, you know, I don't actually think that this is yes. abuse. Um, oh, the you Reddit know, thread how
1: could- for this show is so gross. There's so many like, there's so many women I can that are in the comment section that are defending Claire and saying that Eric started it and like, Eric, what are you doing? Gross. It's so I couldn't stay on it because like I love looking on Reddit for like our topics and things like that to see what people are saying online. This was not one that I had fun looking through Reddit well, comments. Well, it, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. And
2: that's why I have an issue when I first saw the trailer for the show. I was like, why? Why? I know (laughs) because you know, but I I will say that I do think that they handled it in the best way that they could have to bring these issues to light as much as possible. So I would say if you're interested in watching the show, go ahead and watch it. But I mean, I don't necessarily think it's necessary. (laughs) You don't necessarily Um,
1: think it's necessary.
2: No, especially if you've listened to this podcast exactly. episode. You think you've you got the gist of what, what happened. Isn't that just what um, we do?
1: We recap the things that you don't really need to watch. Like the red pill. Don't watch the red pill. Don't put yourself through that. Just listen to the episode no. and you'll know what's going on. You know, there are certain yeah. episodes that we do where, you know, if you don't choose to watch the show or the documentary or the movie, we will do it for you. Um Yeah, but I, you know, I don't think I would tune into a second season if they're going to make it or anything like that. But I am really glad that I watched it, especially because it's something that is very fascinating to me. It's something that's very personal to me. Um, And yeah, so I... I enjoyed the show. It was fine. I wouldn't say it's... Yeah, I I think it was fine. I think the acting
2: was good. I think the writing was fine. I would watch a second season of this show if it just followed Eric's... Journey. Journey. life as a a counselor and I I would look at that yeah for sure but I wouldn't if it's another story about a teacher and a student I I really don't need Uh, it I get really sick of how normalizing it becomes like pretty little liars and shit like that like fuck that like we have to just I, I don't know necessarily Think that it needs I more hope that time. it's,
1: you know, a miniseries and it's going to stop where it is. There was one other thing that I wanted to ask you, uh, only because I, I don't know who I would rather have cast, but I really wished that they would have cast somebody else possibly as Claire. I don't know, because I felt like Kate Mara has such an innocence about, I don't know, like, I think that might have been part of the point. And
2: I think she was an executive producer. Mm. So probably that was part of why she was
1: cast. Um, I I think she she was invested in this project. Because I was trying to think this morning of like Uh, other people around her age where I could see them in that role better. But I did thoroughly enjoy it. But for some reason, the first episode of the show, I was kind of confused by the casting.
2: I liked Kate Mara in it because I feel like we... I, I think casting anybody who was more salacious or more quote-unquote sexy would have been a misstep. Because it would have been too um, obvious I, f- or
1: too, like...
2: Well, and, and I just feel like it's leaning into that... Hot for it, anyone who's, like, a super hot teacher, yeah, I feel like it's leaning into that very male-gazy trope of, like, uh, a really hot, you know, Megan Fox-style totally, teacher, Claire, you know... Was
1: very plain. Like, even when she's putting makeup on in her, like, sexy outfits, like, they're not anything va va boom over the top, things like that. Like, she is very much portrayed as, like, a normal 30-something-year-old woman. Right. She's
2: she's girl next door. She's the type of,
1: um, you know... But even more boring than the girl next door. Because the girl next door is usually, like, kind of, like, hot, but doesn't know she's hot.
2: You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I think Kate Mara is an attractive woman. And I think, like... um, as far as the students going on and on about her being attractive, you're a teacher. You know what I mean? I've always said that like, I would never teach high school for that you're reason. Automatically it's not, hot it's not like you're automatically because you're a
1: young girl teacher. Because
2: you're a young woman who, you know, adheres to a good number of society's beauty exactly. standards. So you're automatically super hot, <laughs> you know? Um, so, I I kind of like that they cast somebody who is conventionally attractive, yeah. but not like blow you out of the yeah. water, crazy hot. Right. You yeah, know? exactly. Because I think um, that's kind of
1: what they did with the movie as well. Like she's almost like librarian-esque in the movie, mm-hmm. like very like, you know, buttoned up and things like that, which is an interesting choice as well. But I just want to get your take on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I could have seen a lot of people, but I am glad that they didn't go with a Megan Fox type. I'm I'm happy. Yeah. About that. Yeah. I
1: don't. And I was trying to think of that. I was trying to think of other actors and I thought of somebody that is actually really similar to Kate Mara. But for some reason, I would have really loved to see Amy Adams in that role. They're very similar looking. Yeah. I think she's
2: but she's older. She's older true. Yeah. And I think that the appeal was that Kate Mara, although she's 37, she was playing a 32 she looks year young. old. Yeah. So she because she looks younger. And I think that that's part of it as well. Like I know people who are in their early 30s or late 20s who are teaching uh-huh. high school. And I'm like the yes, there's a huge difference. Again, I would like the appeal to me of a, a high schooler. I don't right. understand it. But I think from a high schooler's perspective, the age gap isn't right. As large it's not like when you're, you're in not your a 20s. mom
1: figure you know it's more of right, like yeah. a fellow mm-hmm. maybe more of like a cousin or a fellow friend even still if you're if you're close right. enough in age mm-hmm. i mean i had i had high school teachers like that like my drama teacher in high school definitely felt More like a friend sometimes, and teacher like it was never inappropriate, but it was just because he was younger and he would swear and he was just kind of you know whatever right, and it highlights you know the similarities
2: can be more easily muddied that way yeah you know and and also it mirrors real life in that that is typically the case that like you know you have a twenty four year old teacher and a fourteen year old student or Mary Kay Letourneau who was I think about thirty two you know young younger teachers yeah Billy was (laughs) twelve. Yes, and, but, and we we could have had a whole episode, um, maybe we will in the future have a whole episode just talking about the real life cases because the way that the media portrayed... Villy falau was really really upsetting um because he was a taller bigger kid as far as like he didn't really look like a 12 year old and the media really took that and ran with it as as though it made the situation somehow more yeah. okay because he didn't look like a, a teeny puny 12 year old you know oh
1: Well, this has been a super
2: long episode. Oh my gosh, I know, we're like, we're gonna
1: take it easy on Keegan today, but I feel like (laughs) recapping things is hard because, like, it's a whole movie or a whole show that we have to somehow condense into an hour, which is nearly impossible, but we did get some people very happy that our mini was not so mini this week, so it doesn't seem like y'all are gonna get too mad at us for going a little bit over, um... (laughs) So I hope that you all survived this episode well enough. I know the content is not always the prettiest when talking about these subjects. Um, if you do feel like you need some support, rain, RAINN, is a great resource to go to for any local phone numbers or websites that you may need for support. Just a reminder that our three-year anniversary episode is coming up very, very soon where we will be answering all of your questions. So if you haven't sent in any of your questions yet go ahead and do that by email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com you can send them to us on instagram at angry neighborhood feminist you can get us on facebook we have a business and group page go ahead and rate and review us on the business page and then chat with the other listeners in the group page we have a twitter that we sometimes use at yamp podcast y a n f podcast you can also rate and review us on apple Podcasts. we appreciate it so much and it really really helps us out and another thing you can do is go ahead and listen to us on that radio public app it is a free way for you to listen and it helps us just a teeny tiny bit all right with all that being said we encourage you to to rage on bye
0: Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler free so first time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself,
2: I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy?
0: (laughs) Your search is at an (laughs) end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.